Well, last time I talked to the people from downtown. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new? Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter. About a certain research. Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk if you talk to the people from the board. Why did the yogurt go to the art museum? Did you see in the news? To get more culture. Welcome to another episode of the Community Board Podcast with your host, Miguel Valdez. And today is my first podcast of the fall season 2020. And I am fortunate to have today Dr. Monica Taylor this year. Hi, doctor. Hi, how are you? Good, good, good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have you here today uh, to talk about... Uh, topic that is very important, especially during these times. And um, how can I say it's, it's fall already of 2020. It's been six months since we've been and uh, during this um, shutdown or stay home order for the 2020, I mean, for 2020, for the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you believe it? I know it's been so long like I didn't we, I know no one expected that we were going to be at least in a shutdown or lockdown situation for six months and it just seems to be um looks like we're going to be in for a long haul yes doctor do you mind sharing with us uh do you remember where were you during what were you working during uh when the order happens of the shutdown, the stay home order. Where were your projects working? Where were you? Oh, so, um, so I remember seeing you during one of your presentations and we were planning to do this recorder and then we kind of miss each other. But do you remember where were you working on? on, on what yes. Projects? So as um, I get to um, work in, in two different environments, which is really nice. So I'm a psychiatrist and um, I work with an assertive community treatment team in Olmstead County, which means I get to go out and see patients in their homes and out in their community. But I also um, have some time where I'm in the office at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And um, I remember as, as we were starting to you know, put in safety measures, I was losing my time at, at Mayo. They're like, you can do this work from home, but I like to come into the office. <laughs> um, so I remember that, um, especially because I think I had the same response as anyone else. So first of all, I didn't want to be at home. I'd rather be in the office because I like to see my colleagues. I like to be social. Um, and I remember saying to one of my colleagues I was like, um, at the county, that they're making me work at home. This is ridiculous. <laughs> and um, she said, you know, they're probably just want to make sure that you can be as healthy as possible and you're able to still do your work, which is the reason behind, you know, all of our restrictions that we can keep all of the people in, in the community as healthy as possible and still be able to do the work. That they need. So I, I definitely remember that. For for our listeners, if there is somebody who's not familiar with um, 
the field of psychiatry, what do those psychiatry covers? What kind of patients do you see? So psychiatry, we're um, mental health professionals, and we are able to do mental health evaluations, but we also prescribe medications, and we're also able to um, do therapy with folks. So for psychiatry, certain diagnoses would be like folks who have depression, who have anxiety, who um, have dementia, um, who have bipolar disorder or schizophrenia, which means they may have hallucinations, hearing voices that aren't really there or seeing things that aren't really there, um, or really having what we call delusions, fixed false beliefs. And a lot of times that means like, you know, people are out to harm them or they feel like people are able to read their thoughts. Um, so those are the patients that I, I'm usually working with. Okay, and um, and your field also you work a lot with our native brothers in in yeah. in the neighbor states and also in Minnesota. Is yes, right? so, so mostly um, right now I have just been finishing up a project with the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation Clinical Scholars Program. Um, Prior to coming to Minnesota, I worked with tribal communities for approximately 16 years. So my last community was um, the Mandan, Hidatsa, Arikara Nation in Western North Dakota. And while I was there, uh, I put together an interdisciplinary team, so people from, from that worked in different areas, to look at the issue of suicide in um, Native American communities. So I still get to um, work with them and do some suicide prevention promotion. And um, as I move forward, we're looking to work with um, other tribal communities. Do you find there is a disparity on the, um, on the suicide prevention within our Native brothers and the rest of the population? Yes. Um, so when I first started working in tribal communities about 16 years ago, I started working with Navajo Nation and um, really started to see um, the attempts, of suicide, uh, suicide attempts on the reservation and really started to look into what is the rate of suicide. And I learned that American Indians and Alaska Natives have the highest rate of suicide of any ethnic population. Um, so, you know, that was surprising to me coming out as a new psychiatrist, because a lot of times, um, definitely we weren't learning about Native Americans and um, tribal communities. And, you know, there are 567 um, Native tribal nations right here in the United States. Um, and I was thinking, you know, we should be really learning about this. But the other thing is, is, is that um, the disparities are there um, due to all kinds of reasons. So um, a lot of tribal communities are rural or frontier, meaning that they are geographically far from resources. Um, if you think about having to travel for an hour and a half 
or just to get to the nearest hospital and then maybe two and a half hours to get to the good hospital um, or just when I first started working in um, Navajo Nation, I remember someone traveled two and a half hours to bring their child to see me. And I had moved from Atlanta. So it, it was foreign to me that someone would travel that far. Um, and I asked, I said, did you pass any clinics on the way? And they were so kind to me, <laughs> someone who, who was new to the community. And they were like, no, you're the only psychiatrist. And, um, and, and I really just became invested in, in Native communities at that time. Doctor, um, what is the role of resilience in suicide prevention? What, is, what have you learned about that? That's a, a, a great question. So the work that my um, team has been doing in North Dakota which is myself, um, Dr. Anita Martin, who's the Chief Medical Officer of Elbowoods Memorial Healthcare Center, Dr. Leilani Aquin, who's the Director of Wellness Center at San Carlos, San Car excuse me, San Carlos Apache in Arizona, um, myself, and then Kelly McGrady, who's um, a nurse and a person with lived experience, also working with um, the Mandan Hadatsa Recreate Nation. We worked to put together um, an intervention called Building Resilience, Building Health. And we started that work about three years ago with that title and really wanted to look at resilience because um, you heard me say that there's already um, American Indians and Alaska Natives have the highest rate of suicide. And when we say that, people automatically start looking at the negative things. You know, what are they not doing right? You know, why can't they, you know, what's causing suicide? But nothing to look at what has caused this population to survive already. And that is resilience. It's um, resilience is the ability to bounce back um, after having adverse circumstances um, and not only bounce back, but to thrive. And I really think that resilience is important when we look at suicide prevention, because everyone has strengths that have already gotten them to this point. When people start to think about suicide or ending their life, it's like they lose focus on the strengths that they already have. And as communities, we need to build up that strength and build up that resilience because we know in life, we hit storms, we hit unexpected circumstances and um, resilience is those skills that help us get through um, to the next time when we can sort of feel like life is okay again. I see. And, um, and why is it so important to talk about uh, about suicide prevention, you know, to bring that conversation to, to the public? Um, and it's important because I think the su suicide is so clouded in stigma for all populations. So um, not only saying like American Indian, but I'll say African-American communities, professional communities, 
Nobody wants to talk about suicide or the prevalence of suicide or the fact that suicide actually occurs in a community. Um, what people have done over the years is assign weakness to a person that has contemplated suicide. Like, you're not strong enough to deal with this. So just, you know, buck up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Um, so if there is stigma, people are less likely to seek care and talk about it with their um, doctors or talk about it with their friends. And if it's a secret and we can't talk about it, then it's really hard to prevent suicide. And everybody has a role in um, preventing suicide. Um, does does uh, and your studies have you learned if people who plan or tend to do commit suicide do they give little clues or sometimes it takes everybody by surprise or it's case by case? Often people will give signs. And it may not be verbal. It may be saying um, like they don't care about things as much anymore. Or, you know, what we may hear as a classic, they start to give things away. Um, they may become more isolative, not wanting to hang around family, not wanting to go out with friends. Um, and those are signs that people need to be aware of that someone may be struggling, struggling with a mental health issue. Um, I really think it is rare for it to be just out of the blue. I think people start to notice changes in people's um, personality and in, in their mood and their behaviors. And we just need to be aware of them. And Dr. Um, why is so important uh, important to seek or uh, self care? You know, take care of or, or self during these times of difficult times during COVID. Why, why why is important to you know? Self care is really important, um, and you know, I'm thinking about our healthcare providers. I'm thinking about parents who now have multiple roles. I think about teachers. I mean, it's always important to really take care of ourselves. And, you know, if your stress level is so high all the time, studies show that it also affects your immune system, oh. making it lower. And, you know, if our stress is really high and our immune system is starting to break down and we're in this, in this environment where there's COVID-19, where flu is coming around the corner. Um, it's really important for us to, to, to invest in self-care. So what are some of those things that we can do? Um, be very, very diligent in having a good sleep pattern. Um, okay. There's lots of things that can make us worry right now. Um, so either journaling so you can get that out, you go to sleep or turning off your phones not watching Twitter or Instagram or Facebook <laughs> right before you go to sleep. Um, Cause sleep helps us also restore that immune system um, and really helps our mood too. eating well. So um, 
you know, making sure you get some fruits and vegetables, that you're drinking water, that you're not drinking sodas all the time. Um, and self-care can also you know, mean doing exercise, reconnecting with nature. So, um, you know, getting out, taking a walk, really looking at what's going around around you, which some people call mindfulness. Um, instead what about, of what about that connection that we seek? You know, to in this case, we're connected via screen, via technology. Yes. How, yes. how can we, what are some recommendations that we can do for our listeners who are, you know, we, we I haven't seen my parents since mm -hmm. last year and I was mm -hmm. planning to go visit, but then, and it's just, I don't want to put them on risk or get on a plane. And, and it's, it's just, you know, it's constant uh, that you feel that need to connect with loved ones. Yes. And, and that is, um, So true. So, you know, I'm going to encourage people to try to do some type of video connection if you are able. So you and I right now, we're talking on Zoom. Um, Zoom has been pretty uh, convenient. Some people use Skype, some people use FaceTime. Um, for my parents who are elderly, um, we just celebrated my dad's birthday in August. Shout out. And I, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, and I um, set up a Zoom call, which is very funny because I had about 12 people and most of them were over 70. This was their first time doing a Zoom call. But, you know, family members helped. And it was so nice just to have... Um, the elderly members of our family connect and see each other. It wasn't long, but it was really, really a good, um, good way to help them connect. Some people are doing um, some like Zoom calls once a week with their family members just to see each other. If you can't do Zoom, please text. Make sure you're reaching out. Pick up the phone. Everybody said that's so, you know, that's one thing you can do is just pick up the phone. People want to hear your voice. Um, but being connected is so important. And I'll tell you one other thing. If, if people are starting to feel like I'm getting restless at home, if you are into writing, which I know is an old-fashioned art now, but um, I received a handwritten card the other day, and I thought that was just so precious because it's handwritten. Someone took the time to do it. Nice. And... Um... When it comes to resiliency, you don't have to go, have to be going through a crisis. I mean, everybody now, like you said, most of us that we, uh, that at least in my case, I'm fortunate to be working from home, but I, I'm aware that not everybody's able to work from home, but still you have to be at home during these times. Does that resiliency applies to them too, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, You know, I think the the other thing that I think about when I also talk about being resilient and, you know, we're facing a lot of changes is being able to adapt and you can adapt with support. Sometimes you're reaching out to family members or friends that you hadn't reached out to before. Um, for some people, they are now having to um, use, you know, food banks or things that they have not had to use before. And it is okay to use those services. 
and sort of think about how to plan to move forward. But even if you're still working that, you know, working out in um, frontline nurse, grocery store workers or delivery people or post office people, um, you know, hotels and, and just those folks still need to practice resiliency. And sometimes I just think about it as being also flexible that when storms come or winds, winds blow against a tree that you're able to bend but not break um, and, and really sort of look at the, the good in a situation. So that might sound a little weird right now, but definitely there is um, lots of studies that's showing how gratitude really changes your focus um, and your mood and is an element of resilience, just being grateful. And gratitude can be expressed to an individual or just in our own mind. Is that right? Yes, yes. So you don't have to go around saying thankful, thank you, even though people like to hear it. Um, but if you, you know, at the end of the day are just three things that you're grateful for and it's, it's um, just be even the smallest things. Okay. And I have a question related back to the suicide prevention. In your case, when you work uh, with patients who have a tent or they have those thoughts, do you guys work on one-on-one or you work as a whole family unit sometimes to bring that support for, for those clients, patients? Um, over, I'm going to say definitely with my, um, with the ACT team um, in Olmstead County and definitely um, over my work in suicide prevention, we really like to work with families. Um, and, and it's not just if you're a child or an adolescent, you know, everybody, um, we hope that, you know, lots of people have family members that want to be involved or friends that want to be involved and um, really trying to build up that social network is so important. So we like to work with um, folks, but then uh, sometimes people really want to be private and they're not ready to include family members or friends. And so we will work with them individually and, and then try to connect them with community resources until they're ready to have family members and friends involved. I know that by us doing this, having this conversation, we're, we're bringing awareness, trying to combat, fight the stigma which other way can we deal with the stigma of mental health mm-hmm. um, definitely um, starting conversations and talking about it so I I really like the month of September and sometimes you know we hear all of these health awareness months but suicide prevention should be 365 days a year um, but don't underestimate the power of starting a conversation. So um, I have a pen that I'm wearing. That's a suicide um, prevention awareness month pen. Um, and I have a t-shirt that, that has some stuff that has um, talks about suicide prevention month. And um, 
you'll be surprised that if you start talking with people, there are more people around you that have been affected by suicide, meaning someone has attempted suicide in their family or someone has died by suicide. And um, you're looking for outlets and, and how to help. Um, so I think as long as we start talking about it, that helps to decrease the stigma. Um, also sort of normalizing things. So, you know, if pe people are having a difficult time asking, you know, you should go see a counselor or have you talked to your doctor about that? It's just the same as if someone would have like a stomachache. <laughs> he was like, hey, did you talk to your doctor about that? Um, you know, we have screens that we do all the time for blood pressure and for cancer and they're starting to do more screens and um, primary care clinics for depression and anxiety so that it's uh, normalized and that we're watching for it. I've been reading also, doctor, about um, the benefits of connecting with nature and also um, physical activity, even moderate physical activity, how can benefits or mental health and, and especially during this time that we've been in isolation for over six months now. Yeah. Uh, and also there is new papers or new studies that shows the sedentary lifestyle now is the new tobacco. How it's killing <laughs> a lot of people because uh, everything is automatic, uh, electronic, and, and less physical activity. And it's, have you seen any benefits by uh, being active and, and connect with nature and just studies and, and with since you've been working all over the United States? Definitely um, exercise and and getting outside. So you know we used to we used to say you know vitamin D therapy, get out in the sun, helps you with your mood, helps prevent depression. So now the studies are 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 not so strong, but it's still good for you to get outside and get get out in the sun when you can, um, to get outside and connect with nature. Exercise is great because definitely you get your adrenaline pumping, um, but it also releases endorphins, which is like the feel-good um, hormones in your body. And um, some people who are avid exercisers may talk about a runner's high or um, okay. you know, that kind of feeling. But that doesn't mean that if you um, are not a runner, you have to go out and start running 10 miles. If you just get your heart rate up for a good 10 minutes, that's it. You'll start to feel the benefit, which, um, you know, you, so you'll get those endorphins. You'll get a lift in your mood. Um, sometimes people feel like they can concentrate better. Um, sometimes they notice an, uh, an effect on their appetite. So now you want to eat healthy instead of going to get drunk. Um, but, but exercise is, is such a great benefit. So um, we really encourage our patients to do that, to walk, get out. Yeah. What, about, what about for this comment of, Winter months, do you see increase of uh, patients with uh, with the winter blues or the seasonal depression? A seasonal affective disorder, or sometimes people call it SAD, um, 
Um, so I've been in Rochester now for about 18 months and have not seen it so much with my patients here. I don't know if they're just used to um, Minnesota winters more than I am. <laughs> um, but I have seen some patients that have really had um, a change in their mood um, when the days get shorter. And so it doesn't have to be just in, in places that are um, what we think are cold and gray. Even when I was working in Arizona, I had quite a few people who would have seasonal affective disorder. That's because of the, uh, the lack of daylight? That's right, right. Even or even when it was um, getting cloudier and there were, you know, there was not as much, much sunshine. So some people do use like light therapy. Um, there's specific okay. lights or people call it happy lights um, where you can sit in front of um, especially purchase light for about um, 10 to 20 minutes daily. And that helps um, with some of the uh, chemicals in your brain. Yeah, this is for me, uh, to be honest, I wasn't aware of this 12, 15 years ago until a friend of mine who came from the, from the Pacific in Mexico and the coast, so kind of closer to the tropics. So of their life being exposed to sun, daylight pretty much one season, year-round. Once they moved here, he felt something was going on in his stomach, just feeling uneasy. He went and got tested, and he got diagnosed with uh, SAD. What is it yes. called? Seasonal... Seasonal affective disorder. Yep. And he couldn't believe it. And he said, no, 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 no. I just need something to get some for, I must have a virus on my stomach. And then he finally, because he, you know, first that uh, recognizing mm -hmm. that it was mm -hmm. something that it was affecting him. First it was on the night and then he uh, uh, accepted, you know, that, yeah, I guess, right. I guess this is what is, is happening to me because, uh, and, and then also he was on a, third shift so yes <laughs> that also happens to people even working year-round you know even right. no matter what season if you have a third uh shift uh your sleep pattern is different i think that also affects is that right yes yes and so um definitely if you're not you're not getting out and sort of having that that um outside cue for your for your body's um call it diurnal rhythm or, or like day-night rhythm, it, it can be difficult. Doctor, anything else that would you like to add regarding the, the importance of the month of September for suicide prevention? Well, definitely, again, you know, I just think it's so important, um, again, just to connect uh, with others and, and start a conversation um, my team has been using hashtag it's okay to talk about it um, just to promote that conversation and um, sort of decrease the stigma of suicide and, um, you know, really to lurk to the strengths of, of what you've already used to get here. Um, everybody has strengths and everybody can build on their resilience and those are the two important things that we're looking at. Doctor, I, I want to thank you for all the work that you do in the community and, and for sharing and uh, agreeing to 
take part in this podcast today is is um after hearing your story before and and, and all the work that you do is is amazing and thank you for helping us close the gap and the disparities in regarding mental health and uh and especially with uh communities of color thank you and uh I'm going to go for a walk now, be out, <laughs> stretch myself, be on the daylight, and, and, and how you say, charge batteries again. Yes, <laughs> recharge your batteries. <laughs> Thank you so much, Miguel. I yeah, and I'm going to be posting here the link to, to regarding to September mental health, uh, I mean, ment, uh, suicide prevention, so people can connect to other resources. Okay. Excellent. All right. Well, I want to invite also to everybody who's listening, if you have something to share with the community, please reach out to the Community Board Podcast. You can find us on iTunes on the Community Board Podcast. SoundCloud also, Community Board Podcast. Find us on Facebook and Twitter on the Community Board. And stay tuned for more episodes. Thank you. Go for a walk. Well, last time I talked to the people from downtown. What was the last movie you went to? Miguel, what's new? Miguel, what's new in the community? Have you gotten any feedback about the Twitter feed? First of all, for the people who contact us on Twitter. About a certain research. Can you tell me more? Well, depends who you talk, if you talk to the people from the board. Why did the yogurt go to the art museum? Did you see in the news? To get more culture. <laughs>